Good evening. Thanks for making it out in this crazy October weather. All that rain. We only usually read a scripture of passage, often from the lectionary. And today, if we would have read all four scripture selections from the Hebrew scriptures, the epistle, the psalm, and, and we did read the gospel, two of the passages are all about this outpouring of rain, this new rain, this latter rain, and it just really helps to um, refocus ourselves as receivers of the abundance and the lavish gift of that which nourishes life and deepens us and cleanses us and sometimes makes us feel sticky as weather. So we're looking at Jesus' parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. So Jesus is often known as a preacher, a person who was telling uh, some of the greatest sermons ever spoken. Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. And yet he mostly used parables as the vehicle through which he communicated his messages. So it's even prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures. It says that the Moshiach, the Christos, the Anointed One, the One who is promised to bring hope and new life into this world, will speak in parables. And so when we look at the Gospels, we see that there are many of these parables, many of these allegories that He used to communicate and teach His disciples, but also to speak into society. In Luke, it's a string of parables, a, a series of stories. And often it can be perceived that Luke was gathering these sayings and stories of Jesus and put them all together as a collection of stories. And yet, we can also see that they had specific context. There was an audience. There were people to whom he was speaking specifically. Our passage this evening begins. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Surely his disciples were with him, yet also... Oh, I think I see Merv. Is anyone available to help Merv? It's just coming in. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Everything's okay. <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on it. Got a good eagle view right here. So... Jesus is speaking these parables. There are tax collectors, there are Pharisees in this story. But his audience is the Pharisees, it's the scribes, it's the uh, religious leaders and innovators in his community. And he begins the story. Two men 
went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we have the scene, we have the setting. They're in the temple, the characters, there are two men, and their intention is to pray. Both of these people have altruistic intentions. Their purpose for being there is good. To pray, to call upon the holy name of God, to press into God's promises, to worship, to express their faith in the Holy One. And there are two characters. There's the Pharisee, and the Pharisees often get a bad rap. You don't want to be a Pharisee. You don't want to be a, a legalist, or you don't want to be a hypocrite, or other such things. The Christian scriptures in the New Testament often use them as a foil and other such things. But when you look at the history, the Pharisees were innovators. They could see that the temple was likely going to be destroyed. The temple had been destroyed once before, around the year 550 B.C. And they rebuilt it. And the Sadducees were the group of people who were responsible for overseeing the temple. They were the priests. And also the keepers of the bank that existed within the temple. There was a lot of currency conversion that happened in that space. But the Pharisees could see that the Roman occupation was only going to lead to more ruin and destruction, much like Babylon, when they came and destroyed Israel and decimated the people and took the temple and utterly leveled it. And so the Pharisees began to create um, new models of Judaism instead of going to the temple, which they still did because they understood the gift of having a temple. But as another layer of worship that they were modeling for many, perhaps all, expressions of Judaism that exist today, from uh, conservative to reform to Hasidic and all the many diverse expressions of Judaism, there's a lot of credence that goes to the Pharisees. And one example is that they said that in the home, the table was the altar, the altar. <laughs> and um, the, the father, because it was very patriarchal, it was very patriarchal, of course, the father was the priest. And this is where, in a sense, they were able to worship, to make sacrifice, and to gather together. They were um, reordering religious language and practices. Very innovative, very ahead of the time. And so they were a movement of people who, some might say, were competitors in a sense of the Jesus movement. Or at least they were both lowered to the ground and with the people and ministering to the people. So there's more of a chance that Jesus would come in contact with a Pharisee than he would a Sadducee unless when he goes into the temple. And the Pharisees, they were people seeking to live a disciplined life, to be holy as God is holy. And we see this in the character that Jesus draws. It says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, 
God, I thank you. He's thanking God. He's giving gratitude to God. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now, this is a framing device where it begins to become problematic, and this is the root of what Jesus is getting to. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like the tax collector. But he's also giving God the praise that God is ordaining things, that it's no goodness so much in him, but God giving him the goodness and the privilege and the opportunity to live a life of faith. And he says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. He's doing very good things. He's doing very good things. And then it comes to the tax collector. Now, the tax collector is not esteemed in ancient Jewish society at all. Whereas the Pharisees resisted the empire, they foresaw that the occupation of Israel would attend, especially, uh, eventually come to Armageddon. The Pharisees, who historians of that time write, say that the road to Jerusalem was lined with crucifixions of Pharisees because they were resisting the empire by providing new models of community in the midst of empire. Whereas we have these Pharisees, in a sense, resisting and using new language and new models, we have the tax collectors. And the tax collectors are often Jewish or Greek and Jewish, and they are complicit with the empire. They're agents of the empire. They're going around collecting the taxes of the people and often imposing higher taxes just so they can take off the top. They're seen as exploiters and co-oppressors of the Hebrew people. They are not good people. And we see the tax collectors come up more than once in the Christian scriptures. Matthew, who wrote the gospel, was a tax collector, one of Jesus' disciples, apostle. And then we see another story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, who was also a tax collector. Jesus was walking among the people, and at this point, his, his ministry and his miracles and his teachings and other such things were very highly esteemed, and there were throngs of people all around him. And Zacchaeus really wants to see Jesus. And he's not a man of high stature. He's maybe this tall, a bit taller than the average fella in first century Judea. And he climbs up a tree. And he gets up the tree and he's like, oh, I'm going to get to see this Moshiach, this promised one, this anointed one. Who knows what this Jesus will do? And so he's watching. And Jesus comes through, and he comes right up to the tree, and he, he looks up in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm having dinner at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus scurries back down, and they go, and they're having dinner, and they're breaking bread. And this is often where we encounter the Christ. Jesus isn't moralizing Zacchaeus. He isn't saying, oh, you horrible tax collector. You are oppressing your own people. He didn't chastise them. He just broke bread with them. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus 
move by the Spirit, says, I've done wrong things. I've hurt people and I've made mistakes, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to pay everyone back who I robbed. I'm going to pay them back twofold and threefold and fourfold. And it's one of the first models of restorative justice in holy scriptures the world over. He's going to restore what he has taken from the people. Threefold and fourfold. And so we see these wretched tax collectors. So Jesus knows a few tax collectors. And he's telling this story. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's a humble and broken man. He's beating his breast. He's looking down. He can't even look up. He's asking for mercy. There's grace and there's mercy. Grace is unmerited favor. It's a gift that's been given without anyone asking, and you simply receive the gift of grace. Mercy means you deserve to be punished, but it's being withheld. I don't know if the language of gifting is appropriate here, but it's being withheld. Even though you've done horrible things and all the wicked things that you've done to others, you should probably come back and fall on your own head. But it's withheld. And this is what the tax collector is asking for. I know I've done wrong. I know I've hurt people. Be merciful to me. When that day comes, be merciful to me. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. The Pharisees trusting in his good deeds happens. feel like we're doing such good stuff, but then sometimes something within us, the intention may not be right. We're not holding space for other people. The tax collector shows us that when we humble ourselves, that when we lower ourselves, that God opens up more space for us to enter into, and that increases our ability to hold space for others. It's countercultural. Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who will humble themselves will be exalted. I think he learned this from his mom. When we read the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, she says, the high and mighty are going to come down, and the humble and those of a low estate will be raised up. 
Then James, Jesus' half-brother, says almost the exact same thing word for word. Imagine Mary got it from hearing the Holy Scriptures and the Spirit moving in her life. But this is what happens. When we humble ourselves, God meets us even lower to lift us up. And this is what God calls us to. I have a little more time. So, when we humble ourselves, we're essentially modeling what Christ did. Christ, who reigned as sovereign God over all of creation, breathed creation into being. And yet he came down into our brokenness and he identified with those on the margins and underside of society. The most broken and the most vulnerable tax collectors, prostitutes, those on death row as he was being executed. And while he was in that space, he was able to lift them up so that we know that when we humble ourselves and don't cast judgment on others, that Christ will also lift us up. Meekness is a virtue. But we also too often see it as a sign of weakness. But meekness, when it's truly embodied, is strength under control. We're not going to use our strength to hurt, but to uplift. And we see this modeled best in the church, in the Ecclesia, where it says that Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected, and yet it became the chief cornerstone. And then throughout the scriptures, Peter and even Jesus talk about us as Christ followers, as living stones, that once we were hard and just a rock, but God begins to transform us. We become tender and fleshy and sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And as a living stone, we're shaped and formed and fitted, and we're upholding some, and many others are holding us up. And it's the cornerstone who is Christ, who is completing this whole work. And in the midst of all of this, the Spirit is filling us and holding us together and filling us to overflow. Let us pray. Holy One, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for song and togetherness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for reminding us to go lower and deeper and to press further into your holy promise for us and that you will meet us there and that you will be with us on that journey and that you are the one sending us into the promise. Lord, I pray your blessing upon us that we may grow deeper in your word and deeper together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.